well, I guess it was some spring, uh, met with some folks down there. We were going to go out to lunch at favorite Mexican place, and the doors were closed. And never to open again. And the place was named uh, because the door, those doors are still there, as far as I know. I uh, came off the old Catholic cathedral in town from years ago, and then they made a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, behind those doors. And if the priests that worked for me at the hospital, at the VA hospital, loved going there because they, they loved the Catholic priests whenever they came in, and he always got free food. Never, never would tell us what we needed to do to get the free food, but he was always getting that. I thought about wearing a black shirt and a white collar and see what would happen, but take one look at my skin color and <laughs> probably say, no, <laughs> you're not, not part of us. Anyway, uh, the doors are closed. And uh, so, but there are other places for Mexican food to go to, and those doors will surely be open. But I'm reminded of a church in downtown L.A. that is a very famous old church. It's called the Church of the Open Door. It was started in uh, 1914, I think it was, when uh, Dr. Torrey uh, came out to L.A. to church and to fashion a Bible institute much like one in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute, start uh, what, what is now known as uh, the Bible Institute of L.A. or Biola. Um, and, but they call it the Church of the Open Door, not Church of Los Portales or Open uh, Portales, whatever. Uh, it was the Church of the Open Door. Uh, the church was to be strictly non-denominational, evangelical, and its purpose was to reach the lost in L.A., and they took the name of the Church of the Open Door from, from two passages of Scripture. One is uh, John 10, 9, which says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is pictured as the door. Not just the doorkeeper, but the actual door by which we enter into the gates of heaven. And then the other passage that was used to name the church was uh, this one from Revelation. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. This Church of the Open Door is no longer located in downtown L.A. It's moved on to another site. An uh, earthquake uh, took uh, the building in 1987. But the doors of its ministry, although it was once a great, big, huge church, the doors of its ministry continue to function, maybe not as a large function greatly, uh, as, as Biola University, Talbot Seminary. We've had some graduates from that those two schools that have gone on to big names, uh, Josh McDowell, you've probably heard of him, uh, uh, John McCarthy, you've probably heard of him, J. Vernon McGee was a pastor of this church at one time, a great Bible teacher from years ago, but his Bible teaching is still uh, going on through, I think Charlie can resonate with this, he's still studying some of uh, J. Vernon McGee's uh, Bible studies. Uh, but their motto was, is, what God opens, no one can shut. And what Jesus said, I am the door. I am 
the one who brings people into heaven, the pasture that he has for all of us. So the church has closed its doors in downtown L.A., but its ministry is still open. And that brings us to reading this passage that was just read for us earlier, and I'd like to read it again. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming out of heaven from my God, and which I also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For the last two Sundays and today, we've been looking at the churches in the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation. We know that John... The Apostle John received a revelation from Jesus Christ and was told to write these things down so that all could read what's in the book of Revelations. We're not necessarily discussing the prophetical uh, aspects of the book of Revelation, but specifically what God is saying to these churches that are in Asia that Paul started years ago. Churches that somehow have a lot of great things going for them, but several of them had some issues that needed to be worked out just a little. And so John is sharing what Jesus has told him, the resurrected Jesus. And this church in particular is set aside from the rest of them in that there was no, after all of the, the things that you've done great, there was no, uh, but here's what you've done wrong. You know, many of us who uh, have worked in careers with uh, uh, maybe cantankerous bosses or maybe some good leadership but not so good leadership. They'll reel you into the office. I just want to let you know how great things are going and how you're doing and, and, and this is great and this is great, but I need to tell you, here's what's going wrong. Not with this church. Not with the church at Philadelphia. John writes the words that Jesus gave to him and he says to the church at Philadelphia, I know your deeds. He was happy about them. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. You've endured patiently. Shares no concerns. That you have an open door before you. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And these are the words from him who is holy and true. In each of these little letters to these churches, there's something about Jesus that is said. And what's said about Jesus at, at, in this particular, to this particular church is these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. There's only a one other place where we see this, this phrase, the key of David, and it's to 
way back in the Old Testament in a prophetical book to talk about the Messiah that would come. And that was Jesus. He holds the keys. As we read in the verse earlier, He is the door to heaven itself. And what He opens, no one can shut. And what He shuts, no one can open. We started looking at the book of Romans in our men's Bible study. And I went back and read some of the things that Paul said in that uh, first chapter. Paul wanted to get to Rome. He really desperately wanted to get to Rome. And he writes to the people in Rome that he's been prevented of getting there uh, for a long time. And the door has been shut until much later in his life to get there. In fact, it's, towards the, it's the end of his life when he actually gets there. But Paul realized that even though that door was closed, there were many other doors that were open. And Paul established many churches throughout Judea, throughout Galilee, throughout Asia. He started many churches and he wrote letters to those churches. And Paul, even though there was a door that he was wanting to be open, it didn't open for him when he wanted it to be open. He allowed other doors of opportunity to, to stay open and go through those. He didn't let a closed door stop him from serving in the way that God wanted him to. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, this is from the book of Romans, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. He went through the doors that were open. Several years ago, when I left a ministry that I was totally infatuated with. I tried as hard as I could to open those doors so I could do that particular ministry. I fought hard to get there. I served in that ministry for about five, six, almost seven years. And that ministry came to a crashing shut. And that was my military chaplaincy. And at a time in my life when I was looking for, okay, God, you've closed this door. I don't like the fact that you closed this door because I believe that you called me to be this specific thing. This specific, in this specific ministry. And I heard God say, no, I allowed you to do that because you really wanted to do that. And I said, okay, Lord, then let me pastor a church. And no church was knocking on my door. The doors were closed for that kind of ministry. But I got a phone call from a chaplain at the VA Medical Center in Tucson asking me if I would apply to be a chaplain at the hospital. At the time, that was the last thing that I wanted to be, but it was the only door of opportunity open for ministry to me. And so I went through that door. Not wanting to go through that door, I went through that door. The last thing I wanted to do was sit at bedside with people who were sick, hurting, dying, wounded. And for two years, I reluctantly went to work every day with that ministry. And then one day I realized, wait a minute, God, you called me to this. I've been praying for a pastor's heart. I've been praying for a military chaplain's heart. Could you give me the heart of a hospital chaplain? And I began to see the ministry in a different way. One of my soldiers that I saw in Iraq that got hit came into the hospital as a patient, and I was there when he was hurt. And two years, three, almost three years later, 
he was there, and we recognized each other. We both swapped enough stories to know that we were both telling the truth. And my heart changed almost immediately. Okay, Lord, this is the door of opportunity. It's not the door I chose, but it's the door of opportunity. Let me go out through that. Over time, when I had been looking for a way to get out of that, close to 30 years later, I left that ministry when I retired and started coming up here. God used that ministry in a mighty way. God used that ministry in a mighty way in my life because he changed my heart because I was willing to go through the door that was open, not trying to push open other doors. I began to like it. I began to be, I began to be thankful for it. And to this day, I'm still thankful for it. I still have a heart for our men and women that serve in the military, and I still have a heart for our veterans. But I chose to go through a door reluctantly that was open. And God blessed. We, as a church, Community Baptist Church, have come a long way in a year. And we're blessed. The doors before us are open. We don't know what doors God is going to take us through. But when Larry Lundstrom and his family gets here, and starts leading this church into wherever this church is headed, there are some open doors that God is going to take Community Baptist Church through, and we don't know what they are. We must go through those open doors and not try to go through the closed doors. Life transitions are ahead of us. Some of us are, have already been through many life transitions. Some of us are recently retired and enjoying it. Some of us have been retired for a little while and we go through life transitions and we think that the doors of opportunity close down when we move from one life transition to another. But yet, God opens doors. Pastor Larry and I were having breakfast yesterday over at uh, the galley at, at the base and we were talking about open doors. Uh, we were both about the same stage of life. We we're both kind of wondering what's, what's next on, on God's agenda. And we both realized as we were talking to each other, we don't know, but God will open doors. God moves us through life transitions, and each transition opens another door. And we don't know what that is. But we have been told, I have set a door before you that no one can shut. The challenge is to go through it. Ray Stebbins says this, about this passage, it says that an open door is given when a church fulfills the conditions that will allow it to move through that door once it has been opened. Chief among those conditions is that it has discovered the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the very spiritual power of the Lord that is being talked about. It's not so much as its unique strength, but the power that's obtained by faith. The church looks for an opportunity, the needs appear, and when they respond, a door opens for continued service which may grow even wider so in with them. Like I say, this church is ready to go through some open doors. And God has got a journey. And it's not going to lead to a closed Mexican restaurant. 
John also says in this letter, the words of Jesus were given to him. And he says, I know that you have little strength. Yeah, you've kept my word and not denied my name. Community Baptist Church has kept the word of God and has not denied the name of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus writes through the Apostle John and says, I know that you have little strength. There are times in life when we don't have the strength that we think we need to go on. There are times when we think that, I don't know what to do except just end it. Or go some, some direction that's completely away from what God would have for us. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians in the 12th chapter that, you know, it's that weakness that I'm going to boast about because it's in that weakness that I find God's greatest strength. Because it's not about my strengths, it's about God's strengths working through my weaknesses. And so John takes the words of Jesus in this passage and says, A little strength. But you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. And therefore, as they seek to go through that open door that they have in the ministry or whatever's ahead of them, they know that in their weakness, God is going to be their strength because it's God that's going to get the glory, not the individual strength of the people themselves. Their responsibility was to keep his word and not deny his name. And he says later on, hold on, hold on to what you have. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one, to the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave it. Holding on. It's a military term. John, I'm going to call on you. What does it mean to hold fast in the Navy? Just wait. Stay where you are. Trust things that are going to go right. Hang on. That's right. Hang on. Trust things are going to go right. A couple, two years ago, I think it is now, uh, John Burkholt, Big John from the, the mission, and Gene and I and uh, Johnny, we all went up to uh, Anchorage. Uh, John horses to pick up and a horse trailer and uh, bring it all down and bring it down on the ferry. And so the, the last of us to leave Anchorage after a couple of, of the folks had gone home on an airplane, John Burkholt, myself, and Gene were on the ferry with the horses, the truck, the trailer, and we riding the ferry home. And being an army guy, I wasn't used to the seas that could be that rough. And John Burkholt, who is three times the size as I am, was not doing well. And to be honest with you, I did not want to see a man that size throw up. He went outside and hung on to the rails in those 12-foot swells as hard as he could, knowing that he was going to lose everything that he had. I, down in the, in the kitchen area or wherever the tables are and seats in the ferry, just saw on the logs, sleeping for all it's worth. Oh, what a ride. But he's up there holding on to everything he can to keep from not just being blown over, but to losing everything that he had. And so there's that idea of holding fast to what you have. Says, hang on for all you got. Because this is the anchor that's going to hold you. 
The symbolism of that has translated into a, a popular tattoo these days where people have tattooed on their knuckles, hold fast. Uh, to symbolize that, that standing firm, that hanging on, that taking a grip of what, what's there that's going to hold you as if to want to be part of those sailors that, that hold fast in the military to what their jobs are. But it tells us in the scriptures, in Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. One of the things that we have to hold on to is not just a rope on some boat out in the harbor, but the very anchor of Jesus Christ and the faith that we profess. And because of that, it tells us in this passage that we can now approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our of greatest need. Later on, Hebrews says that since we have that confidence to draw near to God, let us hold fast, hold faithful to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Not only do we hold on to our faith, but we hold on to the very hope that our faith brings us in Jesus Christ. The world is desperately looking for hope these days. The rate of suicide is high. There's a lack of hope directly connected to those who want to take their lives. But yet, it tells us, let us hold faithful to the hope that we profess. And let us consider how we might spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. And all the more as we see the day approaching. We hold fast to what we have. Hang on, John says. Hang on, John quotes Jesus as telling him. You got a door that you're going to go through, and I know you're weak, but my strength is going to take you right through that door, and by my strength you're going to accomplish whatever it is I have for you to accomplish. And so hang on. Hang on to what you got. Because we're going places. Sometimes it's difficult to hang on. And Paul tells Timothy in the second chapter, or excuse me, the first chapter of 2 Timothy, he says, I remind you to fan and inflame the gift of God that's been given to you. God gives us power, love, self-discipline. Even though I'm suffering as I am, it's no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. When I cannot hang on any longer, God hangs on for me. I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that last day. When we started a couple of weeks ago talking about these various churches that John writes to in the book of Revelation, 
We didn't get to all seven churches. I wasn't sure that this was going to move that fast a few weeks ago. <laughs> but we narrowed it down to three because there's three aspects of what called, God has called all of the churches to that must be important, as he writes. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven times in these two passages, these two chapters, John writes these words. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Two Sundays ago, we looked at the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus was doing a lot of things right. But there was one thing that Jesus was disappointed in. And that was that they had lost their first love. That everything that they were doing was about loving Jesus Christ. And they had lost that first love. And so he reminds them that what we do is about Jesus Christ. Whatever door we go, go through that's open before us, it's about Jesus Christ. And they had forgotten that. They were doing all things right, but they had forgotten the love of Jesus Christ. Left their first love. And then last week, we talked about the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira. And they were doing a lot of right things also. But they had let false prophecy and false teachers and, and uh, misperceptions of God's word to sink in into the lives of their church. And so John takes the words of Jesus and tells them, you must keep the word of God central to everything that you do. And in this particular church, we're reminded that seven times It is said, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What we do must be a work of the Holy Spirit. There is no other work that counts. And if it's not a work of the Holy Spirit, why bother? Why bother? And so we are told in these short little letters, let's keep the love of Jesus Christ at the forefront. That's why we do what we do. Let's keep the scripture central to who we are and what we believe and what we've got to say. And let us, the power of the Holy Spirit, move through whatever door is open to us so that we might glorify Jesus Christ and tell others about the love that Jesus has for us. I'm going to take you back to that church, Church of the Open Door in L.A., I remember as a kid, when we would drive the freeway to downtown L.A., that there would be these signs on a building in downtown L.A. that said, Jesus saves. I had no idea what they were connected to. I just remember those signs were there. Those signs went on top of the Church of the Open Door in 1935. And the signs were recognizable from every freeway in the downtown L.A. area. They had stood for 80 years on the Church of the Open Door until by earthquake that church had to close. There came along another preacher, tried to establish another church, and he started that church in the United Artists Theater, which was the theater for all films during the golden ages of theater and movies back in the early 30s. 
We bought that theater, and Fixed Theater is now the Ace Hotel in downtown LA. And when the Ace Hotel, which is a very trendy hotel, decided that they wanted to recapture the glory days of the movies, they went back and looked at some of the movies, and there was something missing. The Jesus Save sign. Today, that Jesus Save sign that was there in 1935 stands on top of the Ace Hotel in downtown L.A., just as it did in the early part of last century, telling the world that Jesus saves. And in a place where many of the great old movies, from Charlie Chaplin, the, the oldies that were not talkies, to the age of talkie movies, to many of the great movies that we have, they wanted to equate what was in L.A. at the time that those movies were made, and the sign, Jesus Saves, is now back where everybody in L.A. can see it. What their purpose is, I don't know, but the Church of the Open Door still has their sign in downtown L.A. that says, Jesus Saves. Doors may open, doors may close, but the message of the church is still the same. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Christ is the door. He has opened the door for us to come to Him. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you to come to know Him. Some of the open doors that you'll go through will be the greatest doors you ever walk through. The closed doors that you don't want to go through them anyway. God has an open door for Community Baptist Church, and God has an open door for each and every one of us to do His work, whatever that might be. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, God has an open door right now for you to come and know Him. I'd love to share that with you. There are others that would love to share that with you also. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come as we close our service. I said earlier that when we can't hang on anymore, God hangs on for us. I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to keep that. So the invitation is threefold. If you don't know Jesus, I'd like to introduce you. If you're looking for a church home, this one's got some open doors that's going through in the weeks ahead. Come be part of it. If you feel like you can't hang on, let's get together and we'll hang on together to what Jesus is hanging on to for us. Stand if you will.